Good morning. So yes, as Josh said, second part of a two-week overview of the entire Bible. Okay, so I hope you've all had a big breakfast. We've got quite a bit to do, quite a bit to cover. No, last week, Josh talked about looking at a map to, to find out where you are and where places relate. And, and maps, that's what we use maps for. And we use different maps at different times. Before Christmas, when we had the um, Christmas cards to get out, we had the tables on the back, and on the top of each pile of Christmas cards was a road name. And I picked up a pack of cards, and it said Gregory Hood Road on it. I don't know where Gregory Hood Road is. I needed to get out an A to Z and look up on it where Gregory Hood Road is, so I could find it. Okay? Fine for that. Later on this year, going to New Wine. New Wine's moved to a new venue in Peterborough. There's no point in me looking in the Coventry A to Z to try and find out how I'm going to get to Peterborough. I mean, Peterborough isn't even in it. And even if you had an A to Z that had Peterborough in it, you wouldn't be able to use it because it would be so enormous you'd never be able to find anything. Instead, to find my way to Peterborough, I need a road atlas. Open a road atlas... There it is, A14, nice and easy, job done. But if I look in that road atlas for Gregory Hood Road, I'm not going to find it. Then I go home and I'm sitting down watching the news and they start talking about Mongolia or Peru or somewhere like that. The A to Z isn't going to help me. The road atlas isn't going to help me. If I want to know where those places are, I need a map of the whole world or a globe so I can find out where different countries are. The globe's no good for finding my way to Peterborough, let alone finding Gregory Hood Road, yes? They're all ways of finding out where places are. They have that similarity, that common theme. But they all work in very different ways. Next week, we're moving on to a new series, looking at Moses, and we're going to spend four weeks in the book of Exodus, which is kind of like this roadmap view of the Bible. Yes, it's looking at one part of the Bible in a bit more detail. Then, after that, we're then going on to look at Romans chapter 8, just a single chapter, and we're spending six weeks looking at that chapter, getting into some real depth, an A to Z view of the Bible, maybe. But we're starting off the year by pulling all the way back out to look at the global view of the Bible. And particularly, what does the Bible as a whole tell us about our theme for the year of drawing nearer? And yes, to do this, we're using N.T. Wright's description of the Bible of being a play in five acts. Creation, the fall, Israel, Jesus and the church. And Josh started with the first three of those last week. And particularly looking at those and the covenants within them. In the first act of creation, we find the original covenant of God promising to bless Adam and Eve if they will just not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Then, act two, we see in the fall that Adam and Eve broke this covenant And God tells them of the hardships that they will face 
because of the consequences of that sin. It's a hard lesson for us to hear because those consequences still affect us today. But we do also see within that, in Genesis 3.15, that God says to the serpent, he will crush your head. Many seeing this as a, a picture of Jesus coming ultimately to defeat Satan. And then in Acts 3, we heard about the story of Israel. And Josh talked about the three covenants made with Moses and Abraham and David. And all of these were one way or another of God trying to draw nearer to the people of Israel, to draw nearer to mankind and to get them to draw nearer to him. So this week we're moving on to Acts 4 and 5 of the Bible. Jesus and the church, basically the New Testament. We're going to start by having a look at our globe. So if I can have a couple of volunteers please. Josh and Johnny, could you maybe... um, If you can take that hand. We have here our global view of the Bible, which I made a few years ago. Um, Counted the pages in the Bible and all the widths of the various different books are reflective of the sizes of the various different books in the Bible in order. So that gives us an overview. You'll see... The story isn't quite in five equal parts because creation and fall all happen within the first centimetre over here. And then from about there all the way through, all the way through to here is Israel. The story of Israel. Yes, we've got the histories and then we've got the great big chunk of Psalms in the middle and then we've got the various different major prophets and all the minor prophets. Yes, that was all last week. This week we've got This section here is Act 4, the story of Jesus, as told four times, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, each give us their own version. And then this final section here is the church. So we've got the Acts of the Apostles, and then we've got Paul's letters and various other letters by Peter and John, and then ending with Revelations, John's vision in Revelations. So that gives us an idea of how the different parts fit together. Thank you, gentlemen. I'll just put that down for a moment. So, we're looking at Act 4, the Gospels. Four tellings of the same story. Why is it there four times? Obviously, it's an important story, but why did the the early church fathers decided we needed to hear the same story four times. Think for a moment. Imagine somebody asked you, what's been in the newspapers this year? Okay? In one sentence, what's been in the newspapers this year? Brexit. I suspected many of you would think of Brexit. But if you want to say, right, Tell us a story that you've seen in the papers. Some of you might talk about Theresa May, or you might talk about Jacob Rees-Mogg, or you might talk about Dyson moving to Singapore. There's lots of different elements in that. 
Some of you might be so fed up of Brexit, you might not have thought of Brexit at all. You might have thought of Prince Philip having his crash, or you might have thought about the bloke who's been arrested for the speedboat, who's out in being extradited. Some of you, if you thought about the first story you thought of that's been in the newspapers, it might have been Oli Gunnar Solskjaer, or if I can say his name, and will he stay as manager of Man United? Different people will have come up with different answers to the same question. And there's a number of reasons for that. Part of it is what interests you. Part of it is also what you think will interest the person who asks you the question. If you're speaking to someone who you know is a Man United fan, yes, that story about who their manager is going to be might be the first thing you mention. If you're speaking to somebody you know hates football, you're never going to mention it. If you don't know the person and you don't know, well, you don't know what bits of the story to tell. We have four different Gospels because we have four different writers telling four different versions of the story for four different reasons to four different audiences. Matthew was very much writing for a Jewish audience. And he concentrates on the relationship between Jesus and the Jewish faith and how Jesus came to fulfil the Old Testament prophecies. Mark emphasises action rather than teaching. And he stresses not only that Jesus suffered, but that any who were to follow him must be prepared to tread that same path. Luke's version focuses on the grace of God. And he particularly focuses on how that grace is available to everyone. To those who society would think were less worthy. To women caught in sin to tax collectors. God's grace is for all. Finally, John's gospel is the one that reveals that Jesus was sent by the Father. And he goes deepest into the meaning and the significance of what that is, that God became man. Four different versions of the same story that all need to be read together to get a fuller picture of who Jesus is. They include different elements of the story entirely. Matthew includes the visit of the Magi to the baby Jesus, but he's the only one who does that. Luke, meanwhile, mentions the shepherd's trip to the stable. But Mark and John don't mention the birth at all. But they all include the story of the crucifixion and the resurrection. Because that is the key central part of the message. The message that they were trying to convey in those four different tellings. That God became man to fulfil the prophecies that then as an action, he would die to bring grace to save all. By putting those four gospel pictures together 
as act four of this five-act play, we find that they are telling us about a God who wants to draw near to us. God could have stayed in heaven. He had no need to come to earth. Even to reach out to us, he could have just sent his angels. But what we find as we read these stories is a picture of a God who loves us so much. He wants to reach out to us. He wants to draw near to us. And so he takes this incredible decision to come as a man. Not to be born in a palace, but to be born in a stable. To an unmarried mother, who as a baby would have to flee to Egypt to escape Herod's persecution as an illegal immigrant. Here is somebody who was willing to go through everything that life could possibly throw at him. And it didn't get better as he got older. When he did start his ministry, in Mark 3.21, we hear that his own family thought that he'd gone mad. And in Luke 4, we hear that when he started preaching in Nazareth, the town where he'd grown up, around among the people who he'd known and lived for 30 years, they tried to throw him off a cliff. Again and again, the Gospels tell us the message of how people abused him and plotted against him. Until eventually, he'd be brought in front of a corrupt court on trumped-up charges and sentenced for a crime he had not committed by somebody who didn't think he was, didn't even think he was guilty, but was too scared of the crowd not to convict him. At the last, his friends would desert him and deny him. And finally, he would suffer one of the most horrific and painful methods of execution that humankind has ever come up with. Why did he do this? He did it to break down the barriers we'd built. He did it to restore our relationship. He did it to pay the price for all the times we had broken those previous covenants. He did it to draw near to us. That's the message of Act 4 of this play that's the Bible. God is desperate to draw near to us. His love means he will do whatever it takes to draw near to us. He will go through all of that so he can identify us and be with us, so he can surround us with his love. Now, I don't know about you, but Esther and I and the boys love a good whodunit. Poirot, Marple, Morse, Vera, 
Even Father Brown and Death in Paradise will watch all of them. They're all stories about a murder. Now, sometimes in these, you can get half an hour into the programme and no one's been killed. Other times, the killing happens right at the beginning, but normally then you'll have loads of flashbacks to what happened before the murder took place. And you need that to understand why what has happened happens. You need that to make sense of the whole. If you took the murder out of them, it wouldn't make sense at all. But the murder is only one part of the story. To make sense of that, you need the rest. And the story never finishes with the murder. It always goes on to the investigation. But also through the investigation, you will normally see the impact that it's had on the other players in the story. All very much stories about murder, but all stories that are about so much more. Act four, the story of Jesus, is very much the central part of the whole play. The story of the Bible makes no sense if you take that out. But it is just one act of a five-act play. And you need to look at the whole story to take the global view, to understand how it all fits together. In Act 1, we see God creating so he can be near us. In Act 2, we see how this all went wrong at the fall. In Act 3, we see God then reaching out to humankind time and time again through Abraham and Moses and David, desperate to draw nearer to us, desperate that we will draw nearer to him. Our reading today was taken from Jeremiah 31. As I'm trying to do an overview of the whole of the New Testament, it might seem a bit strange to have a reading from the Old Testament, Surely there's loads of readings we could have taken from the New Testament. But by taking a reading from the Old Testament, we're remembering that it is just one part of the whole. The Old Testament is looking forward very much to Jesus. Here in Jeremiah, we have a signpost pointing us to what is going to happen in Act 4. It's telling us that there's going to be another covenant. God is going to do something else to draw us closer to him. And this time it will be different. This time he will put it in people's minds. He will write it on people's hearts. This time a new covenant will bring forgiveness despite our failure to keep any of the previous covenants. So in the Old Testament, we saw a looking forward to Act 4. Then we move on to Act 5, the church, which is the afterwards from Act 4. It tells us about what happened afterwards. We see the impact of that central act on the lives of the other characters in the story. 
and ultimately the impact on the whole world. Say, we start this final part with the Acts of the Apostle, the book of Acts, which is basically Luke part two, his history of the early church. And this then followed by the various different letters of Paul and Peter and John and others. And the final book of Revelation, John's amazing prophetic vision of what is to come. And what we see when we put all of these together, when we see it as one act, is a mixture of history telling us about who did what and why and what the outcomes were. But we also see theology. As we'll look at it, when we come to look at Romans 8, we see them trying to make sense of what happened in Jesus trying to understand how that impacts them. And we also find there are bits of, well, new laws or certainly new instructions and guidance on the way of living. Things like in Hebrews 10.25, it says, do not give up meeting together, something quite specific. Or other more general kind of guidance, love one another, we find repeated time and time again. All of this together tells us about how the early church responded to the message of Act 4, of God drawing near to them through Jesus. And what it tells us is that they attempted to draw near to God. Acts 2.42 tells us they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. It tells us that they drew near to God. And we see the incredible story of how them drawing near to God affects them and goes on to affect the whole world. This small bunch of men who were so scared they wouldn't even admit they knew Jesus, transformed into a movement that would grow and grow and spread across the world to the point where it eventually would overtake the mighty Roman Empire. We see a story of how it impacted on their lives that miracles happened. In Acts 3, one of the first of these is the story of when Peter and John went to pray and they met a beggar and he asked them for money and they said, no, we'll pray for you to be healed. They knew God was so close to them that God's healing power would work through them. There was no doubt in their mind. They expected it to happen and it happened because God was close to them and they were close to God. Act 5, not Acts chapter 5, but the Act 5 of the Bible is the story of the church drawing nearer to God and God drawing nearer to them. Of course, the story 
doesn't end with the end of the Bible. That part, the church, continues until today. And that desire of God to draw near to us and for us to draw near to him still continues to this day as well. So, how do we draw near to him? Well, this may be where the next step comes in. For each of us, though, it will be different. For each of us, we will have different next steps depending on where we are and what God is calling us to. When I came out of the house this morning, I turned left, then I turned left, then I turned right, and I ended up here, after a couple more turns. You've all got here as well, but how many of you think, picture it, as you come out of your house, if you turn left and then left and then right, would you be here, or would you have ended up somewhere else entirely? I suspect most of you would have ended up... Because you're not starting where I started. So your next steps will be different to mine. But what are your next steps then? For some of you, it may be that your next step is your first step. That first step of turning to God, of becoming a Christian if you've never made that decision that, yes, you want to follow Christ, that is your next step. Please come and speak to Josh or Johnny or me if that's the step that you need to take. But for most of us, we've already taken that step and we'll have other steps to take. Last week, Josh talked about It may be that the next step for you is getting deeper into the Bible and that he challenged you to read the whole Bible. There's lots of different ways you can read the Bible. There's apps and there's Bible in a year Bibles you can buy. You can do it with friends or you can have a go on your own. But there's lots of different ways you can do that to get deeper into the Bible, to get an understanding of the whole thing. That might be too big for some of you. You might not be able to contemplate the idea of reading the whole Bible. How about a smaller chunk then? As I said, we're looking at Romans 8 over six weeks. We're going to spend some time looking at that. So how about over the next ten weeks, you read Romans 8 once a week for the next ten weeks. Just one chapter should be fairly manageable once a week for the next 10 weeks, to get really into that, so that when we start looking at that, you've got an understanding. Different people, different steps. Or it might be that your next step might be to prayer. We've got the day of prayer coming up on the 9th of Feb that Josh mentioned. Putting your name down to to pray for a period on the day of prayer. Or we've got the new praise and prayer evenings. Or we've got, in the lead up to Easter, a new prayer course. Or it could just be committing to spend five minutes every morning praying on your own at home. 
It might be that for some of you, the next step is to say, right, okay, we will go to New Wine this year and spend a whole week drawing nearer to God and having God draw nearer to us. This morning, there may be some of you who can't picture any of those as next steps. It may be that the next step you need to take this morning is just turning to God and asking him to be near you because you need his touch in your life. When we take our look at the whole of the Bible, when we take that global view, we find that the Bible is the story of how God in Jesus has done everything he can to take an enormous leap towards us. And he wants to draw nearer still. We do see that he loves us so much that he doesn't force himself on us. He gives us the free will to choose. And he calls us to respond and take that step towards him. But he promises us. And we see time and time again in the examples this promise can be trusted that if we draw nearer to him he will draw nearer to us in and through the love of Jesus. Amen.